Good morning, Grace Fellowship. Oh, it's so wonderful to be with you this morning. You're my family. I love you. You know, it's funny, um, you know, a lot of times I get up here, I have never have an idea what I'm doing up here. Like, I don't. I just don't know. Most people think like I have this down. Can I tell you something? I do not. I just, I, I study and I, I prepare my heart in the Lord. But even back there with Mark, I'm like, I have no idea what the Lord's going to do this morning. But you know, when I'm inclined to anxiety and worry, which we're going to talk about this morning, God says a simple, simple thing to me. He said, Jeff, this is not an audience to be feared, but a family to be loved. So you're my family. You're my family. And I thank you for that. And then he says something to me too. He says, this is fun. And you know, I forget how fun life in Jesus is. And our brother Scott, he's always reminding me how fun it is to be up there. He says, is it fun up there? I'm like, yes, it's fun. It's fun. So if you'd be kind enough to join me as I pray, as we get ready to have some fun together in the Lord, okay? Father, I thank you for your faithfulness to this family of which I am a part. But you've created us all members, different, but all unified in you. Father, we pray today that you'd help us Help us to trust in you with all our hearts and lean not on our own understanding and all our ways to acknowledge you. Father, if we would just simply come to you and ask you for the things that we need and then thank you for all that you've done, your promise is that you will fill us with a peace that is far more wonderful than our minds can understand. Your peace will stand guard over our hearts and our minds. So, Father, teach us today as only you can teach us what it means to trust you more. We pray this all in the precious name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen. amen. So, if you've been with us, you know we're in this Philippian series, and I'm excited to follow up uh, from Alex last week, who did a wonderful job of teaching us. And he stated that the sole objective is for us to know Jesus more, and I couldn't agree more with that statement. Do you know the objective of the Christian life is not to stop sinning? Did you know that? The objective of the Christian life is not behavior modification. The objective of the Christian life is not for you to know more scripture. The objective of the Christian life is for you to know Jesus more intimately. And as you know him more intimately, then those things start taking care of themselves because he starts displacing your heart with his heart. He starts displacing your desires with his desires. He gives you his mind. But there's a part for us to play and it's called seeking God. You see, we're called to seek God with all our hearts, with all our minds, with all our strength, right? We're called to like love him more than we love anything or anyone else. And I don't know about you, when I hear that, I'm often kind of leveled and humbled before God because I'm God, I need some help ordering my loves, God. Because there are things that I spend more time dedicated to than you. There are things that I think about more than I think about you. There are ways in which my life does not display that you are first in my life. But when I put you at the right place, the first place, all things fall into the shadows in the light of you. And then my heart is changed. Then I become this different guy that is filled with joy and peace in the Holy Ghost. How many of you want more joy and more peace in your life today? Okay, so we're going to talk about that, but I want to review a little bit. You know, this is our definition. You can read that. I'm not going to go over it again, but, you know, Paul, he's writing this letter to the church at Philippi, and Paul has a singular mind. We talked about that in the first week. His mind is focused 
only on the person of Jesus Christ. He doesn't want to be distracted by anything else. He knows who his master is, and his eyes are focused on his masters, so he gives, doesn't give way to the constant distractions that come to him. How about you? That's called the singular mind. Then we talked about Paul having a submissive mind. His mind submits to his master. You see, he knows who, what his mission is, but he knows who his master is, and he refuses to bow down to anything or anyone of this world. He wants to bow down to God and to God alone. So he has a singular mind, he has a submissive mind, and today we're going to talk about his secure mind. He has a secure mind. His mind is so fixed on the person of Jesus Christ and on God himself and on his goodness that his mind is secure. Now, a question for you this morning is, how many of you are prone to worry? Anybody out there? How many of you ever feel anxious? Yeah, you know, like, it comes to us so easily. We don't go looking for anxiety and worry. It just comes to us. And the scripture makes this incredible claim today that we're going to talk about, is that you and I can have a secure mind. We can have a peace that surpasses understanding. Isn't that wonderful? Now, some of us are going to talk about, like, well, Jeff, you know, like, I, I really want to have that peace. We'll talk about that in a few minutes. But I'm going to read now um, from Philippians 3.17, if you want to follow along. I'm starting at 3.17, and I'm going to read through to 4.9. Now, as always, there's no way in a brief, you know, two hours that I have this morning, <laughs> only joking, um, <laughs> that I could get through that. I couldn't even get through that in two hours. So the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword, dividing joint and marrow, soul and spirit. It examines and reveals the motives of your heart and your thoughts. You need to be spending time in the word of God. And I'll tell you, if you're not feasting on the word of God every day, you are missing out. I got a confession to make to you today. Like I've been falling back in love with Jesus again. But can I tell you something? There's been times in my life where I've been more in love with him than I am now. I don't like saying that to you. I don't like saying that to you. I want you to think that I have this together. I don't. And guess what? I can reflect in my life on times where I go, God, I was so in love with you then, I didn't care about anything or anybody else in, in the proper way. I just wanted my eyes focused on you. God, my, my soul was so thirsty for you. My body ached for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Now, can I tell you the good news? I'm heading back in that direction again. Praise God. Yeah, there you go. Like she's celebrating progress. She was the only one who did. What's up with the rest of you? All right, wait, wait, stop. I'm going to tell you again. Can I tell you the good news? I'm heading back in that direction again. There you go. And we ought to do that for every single one of us. We ought to do that for every single one of us when we've lost our way and wandered a bit. Believe me, I'm not, I don't have like three wives or anything like that. I didn't, you know, I'm not crazy. I didn't go out there. I just, you know what I did? I displaced him for activity. I, yeah, I was spending time with God. Yeah, I was praying. Like you can't be on staff here and not pray. I mean, we do that. But my devotion, my colors weren't clear. Guess what? They're getting clear again. <laughs> I can't wait to leave this time today and go home and be with God. 
because I love him that much. And you know what? He is the only one that will set my soul at rest. I have no inclination to believe right now that any one of you will do that. Why? You are fickle and finicky. And you're like me. You're sinful and broken. But you know, I, I think a lot of times I get duped into thinking that, oh my gosh, that next piece of food. I love food. Anybody love food? Oh, food is so good. God made us with taste buds and then he made all this tasty stuff. Tracy and I went to Frederick, Maryland recently where we had, and I know this will sound not so good to some of you, but we had crispy fried tofu, sesame tofu. And it was over this bed of wild vegetable rice and oh my gosh, was it amazing. Right, Spark? Oh my gosh, we want to go back to Frederick today, don't we? We want to eat in Frederick every day. We do because that crispy fried tofu with sesame on it had just this right amount of sauce and it was over this bed of rice. And some of you are going, crispy fried tofu? Hey, this is me, man. This is me. But can I tell you something? If I talk about that crispy fried tofu for more love and adoration than I talk about Jesus Christ, I'm missing the boat. Can I tell you that that tofu, that meal that we had there, it doesn't compare to who he is. For my soul will be satisfied as with the richest of foods, David says. He says, when I seek you, my soul is so satisfied in you, and my soul is put at rest in your presence. God, I hope, I hope that you're tasting him. I hope that you're spending enough time with him to taste of his goodness and to know his rest because if you do, nothing else will compare. He says, come and taste and see that the Lord is good. Why? Because if you just taste, you will never be satisfied with anything else. You may wander around out there like me. You may go looking for it again in all the wrong places, but you know what? You'll have that reference point where you go, nothing compared to him. And so then you'll come running back and he goes, I knew you would. (laughs) Why? Well, because my spirit lives in you and because I will never leave you nor forsake you and because I've been with you the whole time anyway. And I'm the one who's drawing you with cords of loving kindness. You see, our God is that good. He's far better than you could ever ask or imagine. So Paul knew this. And I'm going to start reading here in um, chapter 3, verse 17. Um, He says, join together in following my example. Brothers and sisters, and just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes, listen, on those who live as we do. Keep your eyes on those who live as we do. He's saying, imitate their faith. He says, don't imitate their actions, imitate their faith. For as, for as for I've often told you before and now tell you again, even with tears, that many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is their shame. And we could dig into that a lot today, we're not. But I want you to understand what he's saying when he's saying their God is their stomach. He's saying, he's talking about the dietary laws in scripture. And he's saying religious people are heaping burdens on other people and they're thinking by the things that they do, they're gonna be accepted by God. By eating certain foods and not eating certain foods, they are making their stomach their God. And he's trying to say, that's not the way that you're accepted by God. The only way that you're accepted by God is through the free gift of Jesus Christ and his blood shed on the cross. He says their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is their shame. Listen, their mind is set on earthly things. But our citizenship, it's in heaven. We're not like them. We belong to heaven. 
And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, oh, God is so good. Can you say that with me? God is so good. We eagerly await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, from there. He says, God is just so good. Who, by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control. Can you say this after me? God is in control. Can you say it again? God is good, and God is in control. He will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, he's pouring out words of adoration and love for them. He says, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. Know that your God is good. Know that he will return. Know that your citizenship is heaven. And know that he is in control and that you are not. He goes on, he says, I plead with you, Yudia, and I plead with you, Sintaka. These are two women in this culture that are now locked in some conflict. To be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, I ask you, my true companion, help these women, since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are in the book of life. You see, now he's addressing relational conflict in the body of Christ. How many of you have ever had conflict with another believer? If you're a believer, raise your hand, and if you don't, you're not breathing. Check your pulse. Conflict comes to us. We don't have to go to it. And the one thing I love about the Word of God is it doesn't mince any words about the state of our humanity. Read David in the Psalms. <laughs> the dude is a man after God's own heart. Well, guess what? He's a man after your own heart. He's, he's crying out to God about some of the injustice that he sees in the world and about his enemies and about those that oppose him. And Paul is saying here, look, I plead with you, since you're both members of the body, Christ, learn to agree with one another. Even if that means you agree to disagree, be at peace with one another. Then he says these famous words that we sang in the first week. Rejoice in the Lord always and again I say rejoice. Sing it with me. Rejoice in the Lord always and again I say rejoice. Rejoice, rejoice and again I say rejoice. Rejoice, rejoice and again I say rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always and again I say rejoice. So if you know that song, you've memorized at least one verse of Scripture. That's verse 4. It's a very important one. It's kind of a cornerstone in this whole book. He says, let your reasonableness, your gentleness, be apparent to all around you. The Lord is near. <laughs> wow. <laughs> he says, look, rejoice. God is with you. He's for you. He's in you. He's right here. Rejoice. And as a result of your rejoicing, let your gentleness and your reasonableness be evident to everybody around you so that they would know your Father in heaven. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart and mind as you live your life in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, you think he's trying to make a point here? I'm going to get through that again. 
Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Underline that, highlight that, circle that, focus on that. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. And the God of peace will be with you. So we've acknowledged that many of us have a tendency to worry. And i got to be honest with you, I, I'm the king of that. You know, I grew up in a family that was beautiful and my parents loved the Lord, but we had a lot of trouble, which a lot of you know about. So I went through a lot of storms in my childhood and I learned to be anxious from a very young age. So much so that I had panic attacks when I was 11 and I didn't even know they were panic attacks. But then in college, they came back after living with years of thinking that I was crazy because of these panic attacks. Literally as a kid, I thought I was insane. And I didn't know what a panic attack was. I don't even know if people really talked about panic attacks when I was 11 years old. But I didn't know what they were, and, and I'd lived through this tumultuous torment of living with anxiety and worry, constant. I was at a point where I, I, don't even, I couldn't even leave my home, more or less get up and talk to you or look at you in the eyes. I couldn't do that. My life is a song unto the Lord. I only stand before you today by His grace. There's just no way that I could ever do any of this. I should be dead, either that or in an asylum somewhere. I remember the block in Baltimore laying on the street with a bottle in one hand. That would have been my destiny apart from Jesus Christ. But Christ is able to change lives, to turn our lives upside down and right around and focus them on him. He's just so incredibly beautiful. And the scripture dares to profess that you and I can have real peace, that you and I can have real peace in our hearts. Now, some of you are saying, I don't know if I believe that. And others of you are saying, well, give it to me. I want it today. And, and that's part of the problem, is you want it today. You've watched too much TV. You know, some of you watched Gilligan's Island and the Brady Bunch with me. You remember those? Who remembers Gilligan's Island and the Brady Bunch? Others of you are into Stranger Things and The Walking Dead. Who's that kill crew? Stranger Dead, Walking Dead. Yeah. I call it Stranger Dead and Walking Things. I guess it's the same. But, you know, um, many of us have believed, we've been programmed to believe that problems present and resolve themselves within a 30 to 60 minute time frame. So when we talk about peace or joy or anything in the Lord, we go, well, why isn't it happening? Why, why, I want it now. And it's just like the rest of our lives. We want everything like instantaneously. Now, there are those of us now who are hooked into the current programming, is that I looked at like, things like Stranger Things and The Walking Dead and all that kind of stuff. I don't know that problems present and resolve themselves within a 30 or 60 minute time frame. You know what happens there? Problems present themselves and they never resolve. So the, the generation that I come from, or the kind of programming that I come from, worries and gets anxious. This generation, I think, has a tendency to worry and get depressed. Because we're programmed into thinking, well, there's really no solutions anyway. There's nothing ever resolves itself. It just goes on and on and on and on, like Jack Bauer in 24. <laughs> My gosh, that dude, man. I remember getting hooked into that with Tracy. Remember that spark? We started binge watching that, and our soul started going, doobie, doo, down, 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 down. What <laughs> never resolves. You know, you think finally he's going to catch the bad guys. You know, Jack, he catches all the bad guys, right? But then that 
clock, that horrible clock that ticks at the end. Donk, donk, donk. You know, there's another problem that resolves itself, and you got to watch the next one. But you realize after you watch 10 of them that it never resolves. And then you just go, oh, gosh, is there any hope for us? Yes. <laughs> His name is Jesus. And there is hope for us to experience his joy and his peace, but it will not happen for you overnight. It's a process. Everybody wants these things to be an event. The truth of the matter is, they're a process. And can I tell you that worry is the number one killer of joy. Worry and anxiety and depression, these kill joy. My dad, he, he quoted something. My dad had these funny little farm boy sayings that were great. They were just awesome. They were so filled with truth. And he said, oh, Jeff, worry doesn't change anything. Only changes people. And I realized that later on in life, when I started reading the words of Jesus more, I went, oh, my gosh, Jesus said that. He just said it in a different way. And my dad was right. According to statistics, chronic worrying has a horrible effect on your life. It affects you and your lifestyle habits and your relationships, your sleep, your sexual satisfaction, your job performance, digestive issues, memory problems, skin, hair damage, fertility issues, heart and cholesterol problems. Now, those of you who are inclined to worry, I just give you a whole lot more to worry about. <laughs> See, and that's what happens. You go, oh, now I got to worry about worrying. If I worry, then I got to worry, and now I got to worry some more, and worry becomes a vicious cycle. Why? You were made to ruminate. You were made to think and digest and eat thoughts. You do that. You're doing it right now. You're thinking right now. You were made that way, to ruminate. This is called meditate in the Old, Old Testament, and you were made to meditate. When you worry, you are doing what you were made to do. You're just meditating on the wrong things. You're made to ruminate on the person of Jesus Christ, and you're made to eat his word. And when you do, you experience life and life abundant. When you do, you experience joy. You experience peace that is far more wonderful than your mind can understand. And then peace starts to guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. But look, you've got to understand something. Every fruit has a root. So, you know, a lot of people who worry, they try and take care of their worry by going to the things of this world. And they engage in harmful lifestyle habits, such as smoking and overeating, and drug and alcohol abuse. You fill in the blank. I don't know how you try and meditate away or medicate away your soul, your, your pain, your worry, and your soul. But I can tell you my number one is food. My second one is trying to fix the people around me so I don't worry about them. That's called control. How many of you can fix anybody else? How many of you can fix yourself? How many of you live like you can? Raise your hand. Raise your hand. Every fruit has a root. So if you're struggling like I have with overeating and weight, worry may be the root of that issue. Now, the problem may not be what you're eating, although that has some relevance. The problem may be what's eating you. You see, and that, that's, that's worry and anxiety. You know, the vast majority of people that are diagnosed with alcoholism, they have anxiety disorders underneath their alcoholism. Did you know that? Because that's the root that bears the fruit. They take away the alcohol, and they feel worse. Why? Because they're left with this pool of anxiety. Now, those who have long-term recovery, by the grace of God like me, find Jesus. And he's the one, then, 
that addresses that issue. But what is worry? What's at the root of worry? It's a lack of trust in God. That's it. And as a result of you not trusting him, then you get duped into trying to be in control. So you think that your worrying is doing something, and it does nothing except make you sick, soul sick. What's the solution to worry? The presence and the peace of God. You know, in the scripture, uh, over 500 times God promises peace to his people. And it takes time to grow into that kind of faith, to have that kind of joy and peace. And God is the master of patience. The problem is we're not very patient people. I want you to listen to this quote by Pastor Stephen Machia as he reflected on two women that he encountered in the hospital that were deeply saintly people. He, he walked to visit these people in the hospital, and he's like, how, how are they so joyful? How are they so peaceful? How are they so filled with the presence of God? I want that. And then he realized that their lives and their witness was a result of, and I quote, a long obedience in the same direction. It is forged in the daily, and it's tempered in the ordinary. It is a slow and deliberate gathering of the years. It is a combination of being attentive to God, to self, to others, and to life. And it is a holy indifference to trifles, to insults, and to useless distractions. You see, peace will take practice. And we have to practice the presence of God. It's a process, it's not an event to lay a hold of the joy and peace that comes in Christ Jesus. But I have really good news for you. You can start today. You can start today. And look, if you've known that peace and you've left that peace, you can start over again today. Why? Because God's mercies are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. Now here's a really good piece of news. God can take and will restore the years the locusts have destroyed much faster than it took to get you where you are. So in other words, how, many, how much have you practiced worrying? Think about that. <laughs> how many countless hours have you practiced worrying weeks, months, and years? Have you practiced being anxious? When God rushes in, he doesn't do it right away. But can I tell you something? He restores to you the years the locusts have destroyed in far less time than it took to get you in that pit. But it is a process. And you can have peace and joy that the world sees. And you can have reasonableness or gentleness that will be evident to all. But you need to know what kind of father you have. That, that's really the heart of this thing. You need to know who he is. And so, you know, I have the awesome honor of being called dad by three children, Zachary, Michaela, and Noah. Um, these are adult children now, but they were little children way back when. Tracy and I, by God's grace, have been called at times by them wonderful parents. But that's been at times. <clears throat> Not all the time, but at times. And much of the time, which we'll take. We'll take that. We're grateful for that, that our parents, that our kids can say things to us like, you've been a great dad. I can't tell you what that does. When I hear one of my children say that to me, I remember um, crying with our son, Zach, and just telling him, you know, because he's an adult now. And I miss when he was like that a little. <laughs> Sorry. But have him look at me and just say, you are such a great dad. 
you know, we've done our best. We've screwed up a lot, right, Spark? <laughs> I mean, we never beat him. We wanted to, but we didn't. <laughs> but, you know, one of the deep honors is not only hearing your kids say that, but hearing their friends say that. I remember there's times where, like, we would forgive a child for something that really should have been punished, or we would show grace of God, and we would bless a child in some way that was kind of outside of reason, right? Like God blesses us. And sometimes one of their friends would be there and just witnessing, like, the interaction that we would have, and we'd hear these words, and we heard them on more than one occasion. Man, I wish I had a dad like you. I wish I had a dad like yours. You see, people around us, when we actually trust God to be the good father that he is, the one who's in control, people should see us and they should say that. I wish I had a dad like yours. And you can say to them, you can, you can. He's, he's taking new people all around the world. He's adopting kids all around the world and his arms are wide open. You see, he, they can see us and they can go, I wish I had a dad like yours. And we go, yeah, you, you do? Oh my gosh, can I introduce you to him? Because man, he wants you so bad and he knows you already. He knows me already? He knows you perfectly. But, but like, you can. You can have him as your dad, like today. So if you're here and you don't have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, can I tell you something? Like, you can have a dad like mine. You can have a dad like ours, and he's amazing in every way. He's our father in heaven. And so, you know, when we, when we understand who our father in heaven is, our good, good father, that he is good and that he is in control, then we relate to him differently, and we live life differently. So Paul teaches us how to relate to our dad in heaven in order to experience this peace. And he says three simple things. He says, you gotta pray like God is good. Can you say that with me? Pray like God is good. You gotta think like God is good. And you have to live like God is good. Now, I'm gonna say you know, these three things that you have to live like God is good and in control. Why? Because God is good and he is in control. And that's a fact, Jack. You can take that to the bank. God is good and he is in control. And you know, you don't have to have a master's degree or even like an elementary school education to understand that. Your father in heaven is good and he is sovereign. That means he's in control of all things. And when you know he's good and when you know he's in control, then it changes the way that you live your life. You see, you pray in a very specific way. And Paul introduces us to this way, and he says, this is the way you're to talk to your dad in heaven, your good and sovereign and trustworthy father in heaven. You're to talk to him in a specific way. And so he says, look, rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be evident to all. The Lord is near. So people can say, well, I wish I had your dad. And you can say, yeah, yeah, you can. And do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, Present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. Now listen, I, I memorized this verse years ago, but I, I memorized it in the New Living Translation. And I want you to understand something. God's word is alive. And when you read God's word in the spirit of God, God is speaking to you. If you want to know what you really need in your life, is you need God to speak into your life. 
You need God to speak into your heart. You need God to speak into your mind. You need God's truth infused in you. The truth that he's good and the truth that he's in control, that he's trustworthy. So when you go to the word of God, you have to understand your name is on the page. He's written a love letter to you. And his spirit is alive and active. It's right now. It's not like there's some piece of antiquity. God's spirit is alive right now, and he's speaking to your heart, and he's speaking to your mind. And you need to read the word that way. So I pray the word of God as if sometimes I'm speaking to God. But you know, at least 50% of prayer is listening to God. Some of us think praying is just like rattling off a bunch of things to God and telling them what we need like he doesn't know. Do you ever hear anybody pray as if they're trying to inform God of all the things that like, he needs to be aware of? And they just kind of go on and on and on and on. I'm like, hey, I think that God knows about all that. That's why the scripture says, you know, Jesus says, don't pray like those people. Like, they are many words. They'll think they'll be heard. But he said, your Father in heaven already knows what you need. And what you need is to listen. What you need is to listen to him speak to you. So this is the way I heard him years ago speak to me, and this is 30 years ago when I was overcoming anxiety and worry in Christ Jesus, and he set me free from so much of that stuff. He said, Jeff, don't worry about anything. Just talk to me about everything. Simply ask me for what you need and thank me for all that I've done. If you do, Jeff, you will experience my peace, which is far more wonderful than your mind can understand. My peace will guard your heart and mind as you live your life in me. I'm just going to say it in. Jeff, don't worry about anything. Just talk to me about everything. Simply ask me for what you need and thank me for all that I've done. If you do, Jeff, you will experience my peace, which is far more wonderful than your mind can understand. My peace will guard your heart and mind as you live your life in me. Behind every promise is a premise. He says, my peace will guard your heart and mind. It's far more wonderful than your heart and mind could ever understand. Like, you're going to know it's apparently from me. Because there's no way that you could conjure up something so good in your own strength. It's not of this world. It's of heaven. I'm bringing heaven down to you. But you need to talk to me. Talk to me. You know, many of us were programmed in religious elements and we grew up in, in beautiful churches, but a lot of times those churches were highly liturgical and liturgy is a good thing. You're practicing liturgy all the time anyway. We'll talk about that in the fall, but you know, we kind of get these scripted prayers and we kind of go, oh, Father, thou art in heaven. And we think we have to pray this thing like it's out of a book somewhere or something. You know, can you imagine what you'd feel like if your kid talked to you that way? Oh, Father, thou art where my... You know, you know, and you'd say, what are you smoking? Like, you know, come on, just talk to me. Just talk to me. I'm your father. I'm your dad. Just tell me what you think you need and thank me for all that I've done. If you do, you're going to experience my peace. Now, look, when you entrust a responsibility to someone in your life, if you have to delegate things out, if you're a parent, you have to do this with your kids. If you're a spouse, you do it with your spouse. And if, you, if you're in the workplace, you do it with people around you. If you're a boss, you do it with your employees. When you give and delegate a task out to someone, um, how much are you able to let go of that? How much are you able to trust that that person will execute that well? Well, you'd probably say, well, it depends on who I give it to, <laughs> right? Why? Because trust is something that's earned over time. So I can tell you there are people on this staff that I can give a test to and I can walk away from it. I can go, I know that's going to get done. 
Why? Because trust is something that's earned over time. There have been people in my life where that trust has been disearned over time. So when I want to give them something, I go, I, I don't know if I can let go of this. Make sense? Some of you are with me. I can tell by the expressions on your face. So let me ask you a question. How trustworthy is God? Oh, my. He's so trustworthy. And so if you know how trustworthy he is and how good he is and how in control he is, the whole idea is to give it to him, is to give it to him and in prayer to say, Lord, um, this is what I need today. By the way, Jesus talks a lot about worry, and he talks about it. He says, you know, who of you, um, by worrying, can add a single day to your life? He says, don't worry about tomorrow, for today has enough worries of its own. Let me tell you something. A lot of the stuff you worry about is in the past or in the future. So if you take a worry list, which I'd strongly encourage you to do, write down everything you're worrying about. Ask yourself, what's in the future and what's in the past? I'll lay you money you're going to cross off 70 to 80% of what you're worrying about right now. And the other part? is the stuff that you need to lift to the Lord for today. Let today's daily bread be enough for you and him. You know, um, the Israelites could have worried about what they had to eat the next day, which they probably did, but you know, God gave them manna daily. He didn't pour out enough manna to give it to them for a week, you know that, right? Or for a month, or for a year. He just gave them manna every day. And he said, this is your daily bread. You're like, God, can you at least give me like a six-month supply? He goes, nope, daily. Well, why, God? So you'll depend on me? Because if I gave you a six-month supply, you'd run around thinking that you got it. You don't. You need me, you need me, you need me. And when we pray to God in this way, we acknowledge our need to him, and we listen to him speak to us. Can I tell you that when I started praying this prayer, Jeff, don't worry about anything. Just talk to me about everything. Just simply ask me for what you need and thank me for all that I've done. If you do, Jeff, you will experience... My peace, which is far more wonderful than your mind can understand, my peace will guard your heart and mind as you live your life in me. Now, I started praying this, and then I started doing it. And, you know, I reversed the order a little bit. I started thanking him first, and then I'd ask him. It's very important, I think, that we do that because the other scriptures point that out. If you thank him first, you start getting this whole list of things that you're grateful for, and you start thanking him for, and the list of things that you need goes down, 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 down. Because you start realizing you have everything you need to live life in Christ Jesus. He's given it to you. And so we need to pray in this way. If you need a little acrostic that can help you to remember kind of a, a formula for prayer, and I hate to say it that way, but it's Acts. A-C-T-S, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. Adoration starts with praising God for who he is. God, thank you that you are merciful. Thank you that you are faithful. Thank you that you are love. Thank you that this. Thank you that you're this. Thank you that you're that. And you just keep thanking God for who he is. Then you bring confession to him, which means you acknowledge who you are. God, I'm desperate for you. God, I need you for every breath. I need you, and I confess to you that apart from you, I can do nothing good today. You see, we just acknowledge who we are. Then thanksgiving. Then you start thanking God for everything that he's done for you and everything that he's given you. Are you breathing right now? That breath, take a breath. That was a gift from God. Every breath you have is a gift from God. You have clothing? You have food? Paul says, let's be content with that. 
There's so much to thank God for. Now, I'm not saying you're not in a ditch. I'm not saying you're not going through something horrible. But what I am saying is you can see the bigger picture and your heart can give thanks to God. And then the supplication part, which is then you ask God for what you need. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. You see, we need to pray as if God is good and in control. But we also need to think like God is good and in control. Now, Scripture says you're to be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you're to take every thought captive to Christ Jesus. It says that your thoughts are not his thoughts. As high as the heavens are above the earth, that's how, thought, how high his thoughts and ways are above your ways. You see, it's our stinking thinking that often leads to soul sickness. That's why Proverbs says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. You see, in all your ways, acknowledge him. And he will make straight your paths. But you can't, you can't lean on your understanding because when you do, you get consumed with worry and depression and anxiety because his ways are not our ways. Listen to this. If you sow a thought, you will reap an action. If you sow an action, you'll reap, reap, reap a habit. Now, if you reap a habit, if you sow a habit, then you'll reap a character. And if you reap a godly or sow a godly character, you're going to live a life that is worth living for the glory of God. It all starts in your thought life. Thoughts lead to actions, actions lead to habits, habits lead to character formed over the long term. And this is where we see the character of God well up in us over the years and weeks and months where we have peace and joy that surpasses all understanding. You see, Paul says, you gotta focus on what's true. In other words, what's right. Dr. Walter um, Cabert reported a survey on worry, and he indicated that only 8% of the things that most people worry about were, were legitimate matters of concern. 92% of what we worry about is imaginary, never happened, or it involves other people and things that we have no control over. 92% of what you worry about is not even a legitimate concern. Now, you gotta understand something. Satan, he's a liar. He wants to corrupt your mind and fill it with lies. And he wants you worrying about stuff that's based on lie. He'll always say things like this, did God really say? Did God really say that? Surely he didn't say that. See, he goes right back to the garden with Adam and Eve. And what was their inclination? You'll be like God. They said, oh, we can be in control. You see, Worry leads to an attempt to control. The Holy Spirit wants to control our minds with truth that brings peace. But the devil, man, he wants to control your mind with lies that bring anxiety and cause you internal chaos. How do you find the truth? God's Spirit, God's Word, God's people. God's Spirit, say it with me. God's Spirit, God's Word, and God's people. Now, I've said this to you about 100 times here in the years that I've been here. But the truth of the matter is I need to hear it all the time. Where do I go for truth? To God's spirit through God's word and then it's confirmed by God's people. Now, by the way, God's people don't always have the truth. That's why I need the spirit and the word. We have to test the spirit. That's why we need the word and God's people. You see, it all works together. But Paul goes on to say, um, think about what's true, but whatever is pure and lovely and of good report that's worth talking about, appealing. Look, he says, whenever you possess virtue or anything that is worthy of praise, I want you to talk and think about that. I want you to think about that which is praiseworthy. How many of you think it's been hot recently? It's been doobie-doo down, doom. it's been really hot, really hot. And so Tracy and I got in our pool the other day, one of the very few times we started using it a little bit more this year. We're out there soaking in our pool, 
And I love it. We have these two rafts, and we're laying out there. And, you know, we're just soaking up the rays. And I'm like, this is an amazing. Thank you, Lord. And then I got my wife's permission to talk about it. But then she brings this, and she goes, well, you know, I committed to one of our kids to do this. And I'm like, when? She's like, well, during this time, I'm like, in my mind, I'm like, oh, my gosh, that's right in the middle of our vacation. What did you do? I didn't say that. But that's what was in my soul. I went from this plate of, of floating in euphoria to like fuming in madness in like two seconds. Anybody ever been there? Yeah. Now look, I, I, I had a point, and later on she did apologize for not talking to me first before she made that commitment, but I had a problem. I had a problem. I was offended and I was angry because I felt powerless and I felt trapped and I was seeing all the negative like that. You ever been there? I gently got out of the pool, I excused myself, and I took a walk with Jesus. Now, by the way, that's a huge project for me. Like, that's, that's great progress for me, a guy who talks too much. I usually would have said, why did you do that? You know, or something like that, and we would have got into a spat maybe about it or whatever. But the problem was, I got out of the pool, I excused myself, I took a walk with Jesus, and all I heard was, whatever is true, whatever is right, whatever is anything is excellent or praiseworthy, Jeff, I want you to think about such things, and I want you to thank me for them. And I, in my flesh, I wanted to say, is there anybody else I can talk to up there that will agree with my vantage point? Because right now, I think I have a point. But then my heart started shifting because I listened to the Lord, and my flesh yielded to God's spirit. And I started thanking God that I have a wife who's committed to our kids. I started thanking God that I have a wife who loves them and loves to serve them and do good things for them. I have a wife who's committed to loving our children and that she is not disinterested in them, but she takes great interest in them. She does not hold a list of wrongs to get them. She does not have bitterness or anger towards them. She loves to give her children and our children good gifts. And I started thanking God for Tracy's willingness to sacrifice for our children. And you know what? Because I've practiced this before, it took me like 10 minutes of walking with Jesus to be able to come back and be in a whole different place than I was than I left. Something inside of me started to change. And I experienced a supernatural peace. And that peace was now eating away at this anger and fear that I had inside of me. And I was able to approach my wife in a whole different way than I would have if I hadn't walked with Jesus. You see, God wants you to focus your thoughts on anything that is praiseworthy or worthy of, of him. Now, by the way, that doesn't negate, doesn't mean we go into denial. It just means that we're filled with peace and joy then when we approach other issues that need to be addressed in our relationships or with others. Yudia and Sataka, they probably had something that needed to be worked out. And Paul's saying to them, help these sisters work it out. But he's saying, sisters, focus your eyes on your good father in heaven who is in control. And then you'll have peace and joy that surpasses all understanding. And it will make it a whole lot easier to talk reasonably about what you need to work through. You see, your reasonableness, your gentleness should be evident to all. And Paul says, you have to pray like God is good and in control. You have to think like God is good and in control. And you must live like God is good and in control. He says here, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice 
And the God of peace will be with you. The scripture says in James, like, don't deceive yourselves and just hear the word. Do what it says. James is a really powerful book. It's a real punch in the gut to those of us who like to talk about stuff and not do it. And he says, look, you know, <laughs> what good is your faith if there's not works accompaniment? He said, faith without works is dead. Your action has to follow what you truly believe and receive. And that's what Paul's getting at here. Sin always results in unrest for your soul. But obedience, I'm sorry, sin always results in unrest. Did I say that correctly the first time? I think I did. But obedience and purity always results in rest. It might not feel that way in the moment, but ultimately it's going to lead you to a green pasture and make you lay down. It's going to lead you beside a quiet water. It's going to restore your soul because Jesus is in that. So Paul balances four activities. He says, look, whatever you have learned, whatever you've received, whatever you've heard and seen. Now, when we follow Jesus, we first learn things in our head. That's true. You have, to, you have to submit your mind to a transformation process. But if they don't go from your head to your heart, you haven't received them yet. You see, when you learn something, you have to allow it to go to your heart. Then you receive it. And then you truly believe it. And then other people not only can hear you speak the word of God, but they can see the truth of God in your life. He's, that's what he's saying. He's saying, you see it in me. You see this in me, this, this gentleness, this reasonableness that is evident to all. And when people see that, they can say, I wish I had a dad like yours. And then you can tell them, you can. You can have a father in heaven, and he's so wonderful. He's so beautiful, and he will give you a peace that surpasses your ability to understand it. If you will seek him, if you will pray to him, if you will think like he thinks, and if you will live the way that he wants you to live, he will fill you with a peace that surpasses your ability to understand it. But the question is, will you trust him in this way? Will you make him first in your life? See, like right now, I think the worship team is supposed to be behind me. Are they? Yeah. No. So, like, like I had, there they are. Yay! I had this inclination to start worrying, but I didn't. I just talked to you and God about it, and then it just went away, and we laughed because it was fun. That's what God, that's what God wants us to live like. We're kids. Listen to these words of Jesus. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. Do they, they do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? Why do you worry about your clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed as beautifully as one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into fire, will he not much more clothe you, O oh, you of little faith? 
So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your fatherly heaven knows what you need. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and then all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. For each day has enough trouble of its own. Anybody say amen to that? Father, we thank you that you are faithful. We thank you that you are a good, good father. And we know your word tells us that we can have this peace, God, but but we struggle so much, and, and you are so patient. You understand our struggles. Lord, help us to pray like you're good, to pray like you're in control. Lord, to think like you're good, to think like you're in control, and to live our lives, Lord, in the same way that our reasonableness and our gentleness would be evident to all. And people would look at us and they would say, gosh, I wish I had a dad like yours. And we'd be able to play the honor of being a bridge to introduce them to you, Father. Some of us are here today and we're soul sick because we've been worrying way too long. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on us and redirect our path that we would seek first the kingdom of God your righteousness and the trust that all things would fall into the shadows in the light of you. We thank you, Lord God, that you, in fact, are a good father. We do pray this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. We're closing today. I'm going to ask the prayer team to come forward if we have any prayer team members here. And if you're here today during this last song and you'd like to come up and get some prayer because you're inclined to worry, or you have something in your life right now you're having a hard time giving over to the one who is trustworthy. Maybe you're in a place where you're depressed and you're, you're having a hard time letting go. Or having a hard time even knowing there's hope for change. These folks would be deeply honored to lift you up to our Father today in heaven. To acknowledge his goodness and his sovereignty. And to pray over your soul. So please, come forward. Let's all stand together and sing one closing song.